not at the third level, uh, which is the self-actualizing organization level, which is, again, going back to that embodied purpose, people-focused culture, power and leadership. There's still some middle levels we need to sort, sort out, but we need to remind leaders and executives that purpose, culture, and empowering leadership is, is always key uh, to build a self-actualizing organization. Strengths Drive Innovation. Hey everyone, it's Matt here for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, a show where we discuss complex issues related to work and culture. If you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at bentohr.com, wherever you find your favorite podcasts by searching Thinking Inside the Box, and now in virtual reality, in Altspace VR. In today's episode, I chat with a good friend, Tim Turaki, the founder and executive coach at the Maslow Center for Executive Leadership, a Vancouver-based organization offering accredited coach training programs as well as consulting and coaching for large-scale organizations. By redefining Maslow's hierarchy of needs for the 21st century and organization, the organization is undercovering a paradigm shift in the way executive leaders and coaches pioneer change. And prior to launching Maslow, Tim was an executive coach at Great Place to Work Canada. So today, utilizing the work of Maslow and combining it with his past experiences and work on humanizing leadership, the organization has created a whole new school of thought that pushes today's leaders to reach their full potential, become the best version of themselves, and in a lot of cases, build self-actualizing organizations. It's a really noble cause and it's timed perfectly in a space where leaders and more broadly organizations are looking for a different tone. And the fact is, is that we have a deficit of coaching in most organizations and it's organizations like Tim's that help us close that gap. It was another great conversation. I really enjoyed it and I hope you do as well. So without further ado, Tim Tiraki. Tim, I, I say this to some folks and I really mean this in our case. It has been way too long since we have had a conversation. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, Matt. Great to get together. I'm not sure. Has it been, I think, maybe two years or so? Yes. Yeah, it's been almost two years. And last time we spoke, uh, the world was a very different place. Uh, you were in a different place. I was in a different place. A lot has happened in the course of the two years. But for those who don't know your story and your background, I think it'd be great to start there. Who is Tim? What is your background? What are your experiences? And uh, what are you doing today? Sure. Thank you for asking, Matt. Yeah. So, my story in a nutshell before going back a couple hundred centuries. Um, I, I, I was uh, born in Canada and Toronto, raised most of my life in Istanbul, Turkey. And I, I graduated from engineering from an American university there, uh, worked at large corporations, Procter & Gamble, sales, Intel marketing, index group HR. But the, 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 the process has been for me searching my own North Star. Who am I and who do I want to become? And and through that, the, the, that journey, I noticed that I'm personally not motivated or inspired by a big brand or products or services. I'm a people person. And I got to discover my archetype more and more as a teacher, as a healer, which in today's world, I found the best place for that to flourish is, is being an executive coach and a leadership coach, which I've really been enjoying in the last decade. And, you know, a few of my 
tangents on consulting, organizational culture consulting. But today, uh, with Maslow Center, I got to synthesize, and as Steve Jobs said, connect the dots backwards and bringing together my engineering, sales, marketing, HR, and leadership uh, training background at Maslow Center. So that's my story in a nutshell. And maybe on top of that, I've also uh, completed in the last decade my master's at SFU, and I'm currently a PhD candidate at SFU um, as well. One of the reasons that we originally connected was because you bring such a breadth of perspective and experiences and thinking to really complex problems, Tim. And I always came to appreciate that about our previous chats, which is why I was really eager to have you join me today on on the podcast. And you know, when I heard that you had launched Maslow, I got really excited because I, I said to you off air, I've unfortunately had a number of conversations with people in my network and friends and past colleagues and current colleagues that have struggled a lot during the pandemic. And then I see people like yourself who I think so highly of, uh, and they're doing such great work, having such success. Um, Maybe talk a bit more about what Maslow has meant for you and for the market and why you think you guys have been having so much success early in your your, your tenure. Mm -hmm, Thank you. So the Maslow Center for Executive Leadership was founded with the purpose of, of, of joining, contributing to, I believe, one of the big movements of the 21st century. Now, the way 20th century was different than 19th century, obviously, the 21st century will be different than the previous one. And, 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 and while this change is happening, there's a big movement, a current pushing the iceberg of humanity, and it's the transformation of capitalism, the evolution of capitalism towards Many words are used, 21st century capitalism, conscious capitalism, triple bottom line or or stakeholder capitalism. But this this, this hybrid model, which is a more humanizing version of capitalism, also implies an organizational change, a leadership paradigm change. And one of the things I noticed that is my passion is that I, I believe we cannot live with the same leadership paradigm we did in the 20th century. We need to change it. It's not mainstream. We're not there yet. But there are signs and interested people and organizations and leaders pioneering a change in thinking. So that's what I want to be part of. And Maslow Center is an extension of my purpose of humanizing leadership and organizations. Hence, we started the center, bringing together several coaches uh, and create this platform, which which offers uh, uh, support to executives and mid to large size organizations who want to explore building great workplace cultures and explore the farther depths of who they can be. So the reason why we also named it after Abraham Maslow, the founding father of humanistic psychology, is his inspiration to challenge the whole psychology world in his time and how he came up with the vision of human potential and organizational potential of self-actualizing, of realizing who we can be as human beings. There's a lot there, and I'm going to parse it out over the course of this conversation, but I do want to start with the inspiration for the organization, Maslow. And I think that for those familiar with his famous hierarchy of needs and you know, thinking through, again, the course of the last 18 months or so, I think it's fair to assume that the majority of us have, in some cases, had to take steps down the pyramid um, and have had to consider or think about things that we didn't have to worry about necessarily two years ago. We've seen you know, significant risks and challenges around public health. We've seen significant job loss, either in the form of small businesses going away or organizations restructuring. Uh, We've seen significant tension between our social networks and the fact that we've been in a lot of cases around the world in some form of lockdown. We've seen those social fabric really have to 
get stretched and redefine itself. Um, we've really, as a society, gone through a shared experience, which doesn't have a, if you will, an equivalent at any other point in, in our history. And I'm curious, as you're working through Maslow in terms of an organizational context, how much of that thinking permeates the coaching work that you're doing with executives and organizations? Mm-hmm. That was a very good summary, Matt, of exactly what we lived and how kind of relating to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, it wasn't ideal to start a, a brand new center, which has research and a practice center and a school of coaching uh, right before the pandemic. It was, a, it was a huge learning curve for us as well. But on the other side, we, we haven't anticipated that our work would be so relevant during this global pandemic. And, and very well said, like we all fell down as humanity to the basic uh, needs level of physical safety, health and, and security. And will we get to keep their uh, jobs? Will people be able to pay their bills? And not just individuals, organizations have been, they fell down to that basic level as well of survival. Will the organization be able to survive this crisis? And a lot of funny memes and caricatures that we all saw in social media in the last year whatever happened in North America, like toilet paper become one of those basic needs, lowest level and, and Wi-Fi, like some, some drawings adding Wi-Fi to the basic needs. But that was the truth. That was the reality we all lived the first um, three months or so, and especially those that were privileged to be able to work from home. Uh, but do, do you have the basic office setting? Do you have a corner to be able to work out from? Is your Wi-Fi reliable? Is your chair ergonomic? And those were starting points, but but soon after that, so th- after the three to six months mark, organizations kind of pulled themselves together and started to thinking about culture again, which brings us to the middle part of the hierarchy of needs, which is about belonging and self-esteem. So those two levels are, are actually psychological safety needs, they're relational needs, um, and that's where still this day, a lot of HR leaders are thinking about how do we turn our culture, how do we bring our culture into this hybrid work environment? How do we bring our culture practices and, and our, our rituals of how we celebrate, recognize, appreciate? How do we redesign, re-envision L&D? And, and a lot of HR transformation, which I know you are leading and doing a great job at the HR Collective as well. Uh, but still this day, we're at that middle part of trying to figure out that inclusion, collaboration, social connections, which is part of our research. So we've been conducting research in the last year on how does Maslow's hierarchy of needs show up in the workplace? And, and hence these, these few points that I mentioned. I think we still have a step. We're not, we're not at the third level, uh, which is the self-actualizing organization level, which is, again, going back to that embodied purpose, people-focused culture, powering leadership. There's still some middle levels we need to sort, sort out, but we need to remind leaders and executives that purpose, culture, and empowering leadership is, is always key uh, to build a self-actualizing organization. Yeah, it, I mean, in a lot of ways, the work that we're doing, Tim, is is complementary. Um, you you referenced HR transformation. You know, I would I would bundle it under broader, you know, organizational digital transformation. A lot of the work that we do at Bento HR, I don't talk a lot about. You know, on the podcast, I, I much prefer to give a vehicle to the incredible guests that we have on, and I, I don't want to change that format here. 
And at the same time, I, I do want to point out that a lot of the work that we do is, is foundational work in organizations. We're helping them at the intersection of strategy, technology, data, and culture. And we're doing deep work around technology road mapping. We're doing deep work around the tooling of the organization and to ensure that the employees and their teams and the broader organization have what they need to be able to thrive in a hybrid work setting. And and, you know, as you mentioned with culture, in a lot of cases, the infrastructure of organizations was challenged at the early days of the pandemic. And like with culture, uh, we defaulted in a lot of organizations to prioritizing activities that would ensure uh, business continuity, operational continuity. So we got laptops and VPNs and cell phones to people. Um, but to your point, we didn't give a lot of consideration to ideal workstations and ergonomics. And you, know, as well as you mentioned, the we didn't give a lot of consideration to the culture. It was really about how do we keep things going because we didn't have a line of sight to what was happening and we didn't know how long it was going to endure. So culture kind of became an afterthought. But as we've reawoken, if you will, in organizations. And as we've settled into this new stasis of sorts, culture has come back into the conversation because organizations are realizing that in whatever form they will shape uh, on a go-forward basis, whether it's a fully office-type setting, whether it's a fully remote setting, or for the majority of organizations, somewhere in between, culture becomes a critical element, as it always has been, to define who you are in the market for the purposes of employment branding, for the purposes of attraction, retention of talent, and then ultimately the engagement and performance of talent as well. And... I, I can appreciate that as you went through the course of last year, you very much were alongside a lot of senior leaders that were going through that fundamental change, both as individuals, but also supporting broader organizations. And I'm curious if, from your perspective, you mentioned this paradigm shift, you know, for many leaders, they're having to in some ways, say goodbye to the way that they did things in the past and embrace a new way of leadership, a new way of management. And I'm curious if some trends that you've been able to identify you know, early in Maslow's journey of some of the attributes or behaviors or, or um, competencies that leaders have kind of had to say goodbye to. Yes, what they need to say goodbye to. While I think about that, I'd like to um, share some of the trends and the leadership thinking and, and the acknowledgements that we've been observing over the past year. That'd be great. Um, so the way I want well, my first insight on this is that leaders are more and more acknowledging that products and services are not the competitive advantage anymore. It's people, culture, and technology that are the key advantages of the 21st century. It used to be that the business leaders work on this, this core business strategy, strategic plan, business plan. That was the real deal. And let HR deal with the culture stuff, a little bit more of the fluffy stuff, right? Whereas now there's this huge acknowledgement on people and culture and technology is the strategy. It is the part of the core strategy. If we bring together the right people, uh, build a great workplace culture, give them the right tools and technology to do their job, they will come up with the products and services and understand client needs and client experience. So that's one of the big insights I've been noticing. Hence, uh, culture is on the agenda for a lot of executives. Uh, number two, uh, second insight, uh, I, I think there's this change happening from change management to transformation management. Um, all organizations have a transformation agenda, and those that don't have, if you're with any listeners are working those, I would be seriously worried. Uh, uh, and I see this also the evolution revolution idea. So like change management is more and more incremental. 
evolution, whereas transformation is the, is, is the, the, the accelerated strategy change, the transformation is a revolution. Um, so we're talking about these with executives and how are they approaching transformation? What's their transformation agenda? Do they have proper principles, a proper process, a proper way of strategizing transformation? And also, uh, again, I know a key field is, is digital transformation, but what's the effect impact on culture? The culture transformation is a key component as well. Now, a missing link that we found in transformation projects is actually a systematic, large-scale coaching offering. Hence, we, we started researching and, and applying in our practice center this idea called culture coaching. The last year, uh, we've coached one Fortune 500 companies, 60 VPs over culture transformation, and one organization that we have their testimonials so we can share their name openly, Doctors of BC. Currently, we're coaching 40-plus leaders, including their C-level and CEO, through culture transformation. So what we notice is that these transformation projects need this large-scale, systematic, uh, strategic coaching so leaders implement the change, follow through, they role model the culture change, they, 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 they show the change they want to see in their organization. So I think these here are, these are a couple of key trends we've been observing. Fascinating. And as you're speaking, I'm nodding my head, which of course, nobody can see on a podcast, but it makes all the <laughs> sense. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in systems and in, and in incentives. And it, that thinking informed a lot of ways that I approached my career in the corporate world and certainly approaches the way I you know, look at my business today. And when you look at systems and incentives, I, I look at them because in a lot of cases, they're at the core of the root cause of our present circumstances. Hey, everyone, it's Matt here, and I hope you're enjoying today's discussion. Before we continue, I want to make you aware of our latest creative project, HR in VR. Every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I'll connect with technology pioneers, business executives from the world's most iconic brands, and industry thought leaders to discuss the future of immersive technologies like virtual reality and their impact on future workplaces. In partnership with Microsoft, we're broadcasting each episode on LinkedIn Live and in front of a live studio audience in Altspace. Joining is easy. For LinkedIn users, simply follow my account, Matt in VR, and stay tuned Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for the LinkedIn live stream. Or for a truly immersive live experience, visit altvr.com to download Altspace on your Mac, PC, or VR headset and join us live in our studio audience. There you'll have a chance to ask questions, meet me and our incredible guests, and connect with others from the comfort of your own home. This is the future, folks, and I hope you'll be part of it. And I'll link the details for HR and VR, along with all other relevant information in the show notes of this podcast. And now, back to our discussion. So, for example, you referenced this the, the, the shifting emphasis on products and services in favor of people, technology, and you didn't say this, but I'll add it, data in, in the future world. And I think that makes all the sense in the world for a few reasons. The first one is, if you think about our you know, business context, our world, let's say 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 
when I first started my, my foray into the corporate world. Change cycles in organizations were much slower than they are today. I remember sitting in you know, meetings with my executive team 15, almost 20 years ago, talking about three to five-year corporate strategic plans. Now, if someone pulls out a five-year plan, it's like, is this like a relic from the past? Like, it's, no one's thinking in terms of three to five years anymore. It's, you know, six months, 12 months, maybe it's a couple of years in some cases for significant capital investments, but the, the time horizon has shrunk materially. Secondly, you know, the, the very nature of work, of work has shifted as well. I mean, I remember, again, early in my career, some of the, um, you know, baby boomer generation lamenting the more transient nature of millennials like myself as we've progressed through our careers and looking at opportunities more as stepping stones along a, along a larger path not spending 35, 40 years in a single organization to retire there and get the plaque and then right off into the sunset. So whether it's the employment and the workforce, whether it's the nature of business, with those reduced change cycles and accelerated change, the emphasis on products and services has to shift because if you had a really good idea 30 years ago, you could probably ride that good idea for the entire 30 years of a business. If you produced the best widget 30 years ago, that widget could be a top seller 30 years later. Today, if you build an exceptional widget, it's very likely that in the next 12 months, somebody will have built a better widget. Either it'll be less expensive, it'll be more environmentally friendly, it'll have different materials and different alloys. There will be something comparable, if not multiple comparables on the market, which as a consequence of that requires a shift from waterfall thinking to agile thinking requires much more iteration, experimentation, much more of a growth mindset and innovation mindset. And all those things require people. And it requires people to be looking at these, the broader market, the broader products and services, and constantly being open to this idea of changing and being agile and being nimble. And therefore, we have to place to your point, a greater emphasis on the people in the organization and ultimately the tech that powers their work and the data that can inform their work if we're going to have success as an organization. So when I look at the way things are shifting, I look at these incentives, the broader macroeconomic shifts that are occurring and say, we were on this path. The pandemic absolutely accelerated the path and we're not going back to the world of 30-year change cycles, five-year strategic plans. We are moving to a knowledge-based economy where, or you, I agree with you, organizations will win or they will not win on the basis of their ability to attract the best kind of people and to get the most from those people and to, as best they can, retain them to build that cohesion in the organization. And organizations that turn a blind eye to that and instead try and replicate their own experiences from 20 years ago are going to be at a deficit, which will increase over time. So I agree with you. Organizations need to have a more of a transformation mindset, more of an exponential growth mindset as opposed to incremental shifts. And I think your your studies are, are you know very reminiscent of what's occurring, and um, you know I, I'm not surprised to hear that you guys are deploying it for organizations that are making those shifts. And you mentioned doctors of BC. I mean, I can't think of an industry that's perhaps more affected by this than healthcare. Uh, education would be another one that's going to go through a massive shift over the next five to seven years. So it, it's it's a curious conversation, and I think 
you know, as we talked about before, I, I'm really happy that organizations like yours, led by people like you, are thinking through these challenges to really help leaders because ultimately, you and I both know this, Tim, like change is scary. Even though we know it's coming, even though we know it's necessary for us, it's really, really hard if you've defined yourself as a leader in a certain light. And now you have to completely shift your thinking to have success um, in, in a different stage of your career. That wasn't the way it happened for the people that preceded us, but it is the way it's going to happen for us now. And coaching in a lot of cases is about helping leaders through the inevitable change that they have to go through so that they can bring the good with them. And then in some cases, just you know, let go of the things that are not going to serve them going forward. Great points, Matt. And you're so right. Like change is oh my, it is painful. Like when I hear someone that says, and there are people like that, which I envy them. They're like, oh, I love change. I enjoy change. I'm like, wow, lucky you. This is your era. Like for me, although I'm embracing change, I'm pioneering change, but I, I, I don't feel that I love change. It gives me that, yeah, that, that, that stomachache on occasions, but it's the reality. It is, it is our world we live in and, and we need to adapt. And as human beings, we, we, we can adapt, which is the, the good news. And that's what we're helping uh, leaders do. And, and building some more on that, I think, it's an interesting conversation to talk about how was the leadership paradigm changing and how do we help leaders adapt to this? Uh, and that's where, where coaching comes in, not just as coaching leaders, but also teaching leaders to become coaches. Because when a, when a leader acknowledges that they're the coach of the team, they, they want to help the players in the game become their best selves and play the game in the best possible way. It's not about the coach going in and running in the game and, and hitting the puck or kicking the ball. It's about helping the team become them best selves. And I, hence, I, I love bringing in a lot of sports uh, coaching metaphors, analogies, the sports psychology field strongly informs high performing teams. And it's really relevant for today's world. It's funny you mentioned that. I think of the last five podcasts I've recorded, three of them have had some reference to sports psychology in them <laughs> in one way, shape or form. A couple of areas that I think you'd be pretty interested in. Um, the first one is this idea of rest. I've met with a couple of high-performing athletes at the college level, at the um, you know Olympic level, who lament the change from that their athletic pursuits into the corporate world and the seeming, if you will, dismiss specific nature around the importance of rest. If you ask any high-performing athlete, you know how rest is thought about in the context of their broader training regimen, they'll tell you it's a critical element. The ability to recuperate and recover and rest in a very small window, but also to do so in a way that allows you to achieve optimum performance the next time you have to perform is absolutely critical for any athlete. And at the same time, we haven't translated that into the corporate world. We still in very much in a lot of organizations default to this grind and hustle culture where the hours you put in are equivalent to the commitment you have to the firm. And, you know, we, we stand up and clap for the person who gets in the office first thing and leaves last. And yet the science doesn't support it in terms of true human performance. There isn't science that supports the idea of somebody being more effective between hour 35 and hour 55. Um, it's not the right, um, you know, model to, to, to signal to your employees that may have other considerations around work-life integration that could come in conflict with that type of a, of a schedule. And it's something that we're going to have to evolve going forward um, if we're going to, again, transition our thinking from a productivity-based uh, industrial, you know, if you will, economic model into a thought knowledge-based economic model, which 
you know, is not, you know, time spent, you know, inputs are not equivalent to outputs in the way that they once were. And, you know, I think about that in the context of athletics and, and sport leadership and sports psychology. And, you know, it, I think that's such a critical component going forward. I'm curious for you as well, Tim, like how else does sports psychology inform your practice in a, in a more of a tangible way? Yeah. So sports psychology is, is bringing, again, same parallels with that. We, we, we're not there in terms of the business uh, understanding corporate organizational understanding of high performance. And there are things for us to learn from, from sports psychology. I definitely agree with that. And in sports psychology, it's, it's very clear that high performance is not a constant go, go, go stepping on the gas. It's actually an incredible balance between knowing when to step on the gas and knowing when to step on the brake. It's not just always on the brake. It's not always on, on the gas. So it's that ability to move between those, which, which brings the high performance um, and I'm going to share this, how this relates to, to also Maslow's hierarchy of needs as well. So what our research shows that some of the basic needs at work showing up right now, these months in the middle of COVID, is, are some basic needs of, of rest, relaxation, recovery in terms of break times, vacation times, time off, white, white, uh, white time, or what's called, yeah, so, so leaving your calendar empty for white spots. Uh, uh, no video conference days or maybe Zoom calls with no videos on. So these are forms of relaxation, resting and recovery in the corporate environment, which is showing up as basic needs actually that we're missing. A lot of organizations are missing the mark on this one. Um, uh, and hence what, what what's helps us step on the gas is this place of self-actualization of this purpose-driven, high-performing place. But in order to get there, we need to go back to some basic needs as well. Uh, that being said, we shouldn't just be stuck there as well, but I think that's not the problem now. Nowadays, is the problem is, as you highlight, it's the rest and recovery. And another part from the sports psychology that we know uh, is, is, is the, 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 the visualization and mindfulness component, which is a key element as well. And now it's showing up as, again, it's basic uh, physical uh, well-being and mental health well-being as some of those ways of, of recovery, rest and relaxation uh, in the corporate space. And that deeply resonates with me. Um, you know, one thing I think you and I have discussed in the past, Tim, is is my own journey from the corporate world, where I certainly experienced burnout by my own design on a number of occasions, and transitioning into entrepreneurship has been incredibly illuminating insofar as the right habits and behaviors and disciplines that I need to put in place to ensure that. I have success because when you're in an entrepreneurial venture, and you know this as well as I do, it is directly, your success of the venture is directly correlated to the founder's ability to endure their success. And as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of pressure to, you know, succeed. And when you're just starting out, there's this real pressure to, you know, have success when a lot of ventures, particularly now, aren't successful. And at the same time, you, to your point, you can't be your foot on the gas 24-7, 365, because you won't be able to sustain that momentum and you won't be able to realize the type of you know, sustained performance that you want to have as, as an organization. And when it comes to mindfulness or meditation or visualization, I think those parts are, are absolutely critical um, in the context of sports psychology and what we can bring over to organizational culture. One other piece that I, I wanted to mention that I, I've talked about offline, but hasn't come up online, but I think it's a good segue into it is one thing that's always 
I struggled with in an organizational context was when we have employees that are no longer in the workplace for whatever reason, maybe they're on a, a, a paternal leave, maybe they have some sort of you know malady or injury, maybe they're on some sort of educational leave. We take a very traditionally in large organizations, there's very much a, a, a priority on proximity. And if you're not in the organization actively contributing in a lot of ways, you, you're not, you don't exist. You show up on a report somewhere, but there isn't a lot of interactivity with that individual. There isn't a real conscious effort to keep them involved and included in what's happening with the broader firm. And as a consequence, we see a high percentage of people that go off on extended leaves ultimately end up departing the organization in one way, shape, or form because they don't have that sense of connection. They don't have a sense of community. They don't feel included. And you contrast that with sport. And, you know, I remember back in my earlier days playing rugby and, you know, other, you know, sports at a higher level and, and asking when I was injured, I was asked to come to team practices. I was asked to come to matches. I was asked to be part of team meetings. I, there was a real intentional effort to keep me involved in the, the ongoing business of our team to keep that connectivity with my team members, to keep that camaraderie. Because one, there was a significant benefit for me as an individual in terms of mental health and feeling included. And for the team, having that level of interactivity with me ensured that they could keep a better eye on my recovery and my, you know, my ongoing physiotherapy and things of that nature. So there's a real shared benefit there. And I wonder if in the future, if we don't take a, a similar view to organizations and hopefully broaden that to not only include the the traditional, if you will, paternity, paternity leaves and, you know, leaves because of, you know, physical ailments, but actually expand it into psychological challenges. Because I, I do believe that's going to become an increasingly you know, hot topic in organizations uh, because of the aforementioned rapid rates of change and the, and obviously the traumas that have occurred during this pandemic. You know, we are, as organizations, are going to have to be more thoughtful about the psychological safety that we apply to our teams and to our employees and a really good way for us to ensure that they're getting the support that they need is by staying connected. And these, this connects very well to our research findings on how our basic, our, our, our common needs of belonging and self-esteem, the middle part of the hierarchy of needs and how it shows up in the workplace these days um, and our findings show that the way belonging shows up in the workplace uh, is, is through three words mainly, and there are further statements under these, but collaboration is one, inclusion and social connections. So the way collaboration is, is, a, is a fundamental human need is how we collaborate in the workplace in this remote work environment. And mostly that's showing up in terms of some digital tools and technologies and how we use the share folders or or task-based accountability softwares like 15.5 and so on, or the dashboards. And, and, but the inclusion component, it's exactly what you mentioned, as even when you're injured, being invited to the meetings and being part of it. So inclusion, this diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is such a key topic that if we cannot figure that out as organizations, and if leaders cannot figure that out, they won't be able to build high-performing people-focused organizations. So if they want to figure that out, they need to figure understand that middle uh, part of the hierarchy of needs. How do we build inclusion? And it's inclusion, it's, it's so simple. What, what many leaders mistake for inclusion and collaboration is that they, they fear loss of power. They, they think uh, uh, if, if you want to include people, it means consensus 
seeking building all the time. That's not the case. Like collaboration and inclusion works very well with consultation, consultation circles as culture practices we're implementing in organizations uh, just to, to, to encourage listening practices like listening and inclusion. It's a really increasing trend, which is addressing that psychological safety. And, and the third word that's coming up. So the first one was collaboration. Second is inclusion. And the third one is social connections. Like how are we going to foster this, this in the new, this, this, this new environment? And, and those are great points. Those are real needs. And we need to help organizations and leaders understand and address these um, well. And if it wasn't challenging enough, we now have to consider the fact that we're going to be operating in a hybrid world in a lot of cases. And one thing we still are learning as a society and as organizations and the leaders that populate them is how do we build connection in a digital setting? I mean, we've heard terms like Zoom fatigue. There's this real longing to have people back in the office in a lot of cases, and that will occur in, in most organizations. And at the same time, a component of your workforce will undoubtedly be remote for at least a portion of their time. So how do we continue to build that connection and to build that cohesion within the team in service to you know, realizing collaboration and innovation and ultimately performance if we don't think through how to do the things that you mentioned around, you know, coaching um, and support and engagement in the context of a hybrid culture where we're going to have to apply a different treatment to people that are in the office for those that are working remotely and those that are blending between the two because their needs are going to be unique. And to your earlier point, it, it doesn't necessarily mean consensus. It doesn't mean full personalization of, of, a, of environment, but it does require some thoughtfulness and it does increase the complexity of the problem and therefore you know, begets in a lot of cases, a, a more nuanced solution. And I think that's a really great segue, Tim, to discuss a topic that you and I were kind of hammering around before the podcast. And that was this concept of organizational culture coaching. And, you know, in a lot of cases, it's, a, it's an emerging field in the traditional coaching realm. And I would love to hear your thoughts on maybe a, a brief definition, but also how it's showing up in your practice, but also in the organizations that you're seeing or working with. Yes, wonderful. I love that. This is one of the topics I'm very passionate about. And as Maslow Center, we're one of the driving forces of this new field in coaching. We're researching and in practicing and advocating it. And, and of course, it, it has strong connections to organizational development, organizational behavior, and some of the consulting practices. But how it's applied in coaching has its own fine-tuning points. And the way I would define it simply is that if leadership coaching is for, for uh, unleashing individual potential, organizational culture coaching is for unleashing unlocking the collective organizational potential. Uh, the, the way that the few elements, the systems thinking comes into place, which I know you enjoy as well. And the idea is that uh, the, the challenges, the dilemmas, the problems in organizations have solutions at different levels. I think having this, this layered a systems thinking approach helps in coaching a lot to address where's the root cause of the problem. Should it be analyzed? I love using the, the metaphor of a country and is like, is, is this a federal problem? Is this a provincial problem? Is this a local government problem? It might have a different place where you need to address it. Now, even bringing this, this layer, this, this multidimensional layer helps and deepens leaders thinking and it goes beyond just one-on-one -on -one coaching. Like we, we usually don't take one-on-one -on -one coaching mandates with, and, and we only address the systematic change with the, in the way we coach like 10 plus leaders 
in an organization so we can have that systems change and, and be sure to acknowledge. Because sometimes, and I'm not saying one-on-one coaching is not effective, one-on-one coaching is very effective, but sometimes you coach a leader, the leader's awareness is changing and growing, but they're in the system and this culture that's not moving as fast as the leader is growing and changing, and hence there's this tension happening when you're coaching an individual. That's why we, we encourage organizations to explore uh, more systematic ways of coaching their leaders for culture change, culture transformation, and definitely the transformation projects to make them a success need that element uh, of, of taking the leaders through an accountability process and month over month checking in with them on how are they implementing a culture action plan? How are they role modeling the culture change? How are they fostering culture practices, rituals where their teams are owning and, and implementing together? Otherwise, we know that uh, we both know well the vicious cycle of getting an annual survey, not doing anything about it, or maybe just building a one month super fancy culture action plan and not going back to it ever again, right? <laughs> yeah. And we, 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 you and I have, I'm sure, hundreds of stories of organizations that were treating traditionally the the concept of engagement or collaboration as an event. And we, we have, we've fortunately moved past that. And I think one really positive signal that I've seen over the course of the pandemic is this move toward from that traditional annual, you know, bulky survey into more pulse, you know, frequent um, sentiment analysis with employees and just assessing people at various intervals, whether it's on a monthly basis or you know, in some cases bi-weekly I've heard is, is frequently to, to really assess employees and, and to, get a sense of where they are in this moment because things are changing so much more quickly. And I, I think that's, you know, a lot of ways, you know, is another example of this shift from the traditional change cycles and waterfall methodology of you know, the things being, you know, annualized to now being in a lot of cases, the timeframes being shorter and condensed. You know, Tim, we've talked a lot about where we've come from. We've talked a little bit about where we stand today. I would love, you know, as we close today's conversation to get your thoughts on where you see things going in the future. So, if you were to get out your, you know, your magic crystal ball um, and look into the, you know, future a year ahead of time, you know, where do you see continued progression for us in organizational culture and coaching context? Where do, maybe do you see some of the headwinds that we might want to be mindful of? And then ultimately, how do leaders best navigate what is certainly going to be um, a trying period of time? Well, that's a great big question, and and I can yeah only. Uh, share my hopes probably as a uh, as a person that that hopes that we're maybe uh, picking the side of the battle of willing to change the world for good. And I know we share that with you as well. Is that I'll I'll be continuing to work towards finding the leaders and organizations that are willing to humanize the workplace more. I think in this digital uh, era with AI and machine learning and all the other things that are happening. We need to help leaders focus on our core humanity. What does it mean to be human? And what are the, as Maslow's famous saying and book says, what are the farther reaches of human nature? Who can we be? Who can we become as human beings in terms of our qualities of compassion and kindness and generosity and those those timeless virtues and values that philosophers have been talking about for, for centuries, if not decades. Um, so I think we need to keep fostering that and, and bringing a uh, uh, awareness and consciousness to leaders. We, we, need, we need wiser leaders. And I know that I'll be working towards the and with the leaders and organizations that want to cultivate that wisdom um, for the good of the earth. Uh, we have a lot of work to do. You and I, Matt, we need to reach out many organizations, many leaders to, 
to be able to do this. But I, I, I feel that even if the story of the little kid throwing the starfish back in the ocean, if we can throw a few starfish back in the ocean, I will feel uh, purposeful and doing good for the future of Earth. In terms of Maslow Center, uh, my final word would be, I think the way Gallup has ignited an incredible ecosystem of strengths and strengths-based uh, approaches by proven by research and impact and how that grew, uh, I'm hoping that Maslow Center will be pioneering, uh, uh, reigniting or opening conversations on needs-based uh, discussions in HR and strategy because the heart of the matter of we know that the KPIs are correlated to client member experiences, right? We know that employee experience correlates to client experience. And the heart of the matter for client experience and employee experience is understanding human needs. What do we need as human beings? And if we can talk about that, that's what true empathy, applied empathy is. We need to understand our common humanness, listen to each other, learn from each other, and collaborate better as human beings. And that's what I'll be working towards. And we're, as I mentioned before, Tim, we're in good hands with you and your organization. I know that you, again, bring a breadth of experience to a challenging problem. I know where it stems from in that it's a great place and that you are genuinely in service to organizations and their leaders and helping them navigate these challenging times. And I want to wish you and your broader organization a ton of success going forward. Uh, we can't have enough people pulling on this rope. Um, you know, if the pandemic has illuminated anything for us, it's that the divide is unfortunately has, has grown between where we, where we were and where we have to go. And, you know, it's organizations like yours that are going to help us bridge that gap. So thank you very much for your time today. I'm looking forward to continuing this chat offline. Thank you so much, Matt. Matt, my pleasure. I look forward to touching many more lives together with you. And yeah, thanks. At Bento HR, we enable your HR strategy with custom HR technology procurement, implementations, and integrations to liberate your team from administration, enhance their productivity and experience, to position them at the center of your organization's transformation where they belong. With experience as an HR executive myself, I have a real appreciation of the challenges facing today's HR leaders. The world is changing. Your industry is being disrupted. Your organization is transforming. And all the while, you're trying to do more with less. You're being asked to simultaneously model fiscal restraint while the expectations of your departments are only increasing. At Bento HR, we can support you at every stage of your transformation. From architecting the strategy to developing and selling the business case internally, we support procurement, implementations, and ongoing sustainment. And we tie it all together with a deep knowledge of the HR profession and over six decades of combined experiences from our founding team who has worked in or supported large HR organizations across multiple industries, including, but not limited to, financial services, technology, retail, transportation, and healthcare. Check out Bento HR today to build your very own Bento box, which doubles as your business case for transformation. Leveraging recent research into the upside of digital automation inside organizations, and with your help in answering a few simple questions related to your organization, our Bento builder will provide a directional business case for change. So log on to www.bentohr.com and build your bento box today.